This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. The COVID-19 pandemic exposed the vulnerability of the medical product supply chain and its impact on providing optimal health care. The spread of the disease was accompanied by not only shortages of personal protective equipment, but also medications and many other products we depend on every day in our clinical practice. We've learned that we cannot provide adequate or timely health care when there are shortages of important products. This has endangered the health of our patients and healthcare providers and resulted in a rationing of care and an increased risk of error as we're forced to use substandard or replacement products. It's caused us to look for new solutions to reducing our medical supply chain vulnerabilities. Our guest to discuss this topic is Dr. Pratish Tosh, an infectious disease specialist at the Mayo Clinic. You're listening to Mayo Clinic Talks. Welcome, Pratish. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Sure. Let's start with some real basic stuff. I think most of our listeners know what medical chain vulnerability is, but why don't you describe it or define medical chain vulnerability and supply chain management? Sure. And I will start with actually the, the problem in that what providers end up seeing and how invisible things are. I go back before COVID. You know, I've been doing supply chain talks for a long time. And usually before COVID, no one would show up. Mm-hmm. It would just be me and like the supply chain guys in the back. <laughs> then COVID happens and people are like, wait, hey, where's my PPE? Where's my toilet paper? And what is happening is suddenly the same talk I used to give to totally empty rooms are now you know, at least virtually being filled. And so people are seeing a lot more interest in it. And so understanding sort of what is supply chain, what is supply chain vulnerability has become a lot more interesting because people are really feeling it. If you remember Hurricane Maria mm-hmm. yep. and you know, hit Puerto Rico and really devastated a lot of things, we did not realize that nearly all of our IV fluids are made in Puerto Rico. We didn't realize that until it was a hurricane, you know, shut down a bunch of factories, and suddenly on mainland US, we don't have IV fluids. We have to ration, you got to figure all these things out, you know, other products that we're not used to using in those settings. And this occurred completely opaquely. No one realized that even though you might be buying things from a bunch of different places across the country, essentially, it all came back to Puerto Rico. And you know, this is a U.S. territory. You know, this is our backyard. And we had no idea of when it comes to raw supplies stuff or finished product or all these things, just all the chains that occur before it shows up at your doorstep. So then when we were talking about supply chain, it's a sequence of events from it gets from a, like a raw ingredient to where it shows up, where you finally use it. And a lot of things can go wrong. And what we're finding is over time, these supply chains have gotten more and more vulnerable. Uh, you will read about things on the news and people will often point to, oh, there's this one law or it's greedy companies who are just trying to you know, pinch a penny. We are all to blame 
for this problem. And I can get into that. If you can imagine that there's some sort of life-saving widget, we'll call it widget A, and someone is going to sell you widget A for 50 bucks. And that's what it costs to make in a sustainable fashion that you can rely on. Well, somebody comes along and says, wait a second, I can sell you widget A for $45. And all you see is price. Now suddenly, well, I can buy these for $45 instead of 50 and I can you know, do other things with that extra $5. Now suddenly over time, somebody says, well, I can do that for $35. Eventually the $50 widget maker goes out of business because they just can't compete. And what you do not know is that in order to make a $50 widget for $35, you've got to introduce risk essentially, right? A lot of more offshore supplies and you know, single suppliers and all these sorts of things that suddenly make it far more likely in the supply chain that something could break. Something could happen like a hurricane in you know, Puerto Rico or ships are stuck in the you know, Suez Canal. Small things that impact your ability to get the product you need. Because all we see is price, we have created the problem that we have because the producers are responding to what we respond to. They're responding to price and say, well, what can we do to make this cheaper? And they're doing exactly, essentially what we've asked, but we have really had these sort of perverse incentives that have created the problem that we see of highly vulnerable and increasingly vulnerable medical supply chain. Well, I think the term supply chain is a very appropriate one because it is very much like a metal chain that we would use. And that chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Exactly and right. When you've got multiple links that are strong, but one that is weak and that link breaks, the chain is useless. So right. very much the same in medical supplies. You, if you lose that one link, everything kind of grinds to a halt. Exactly right. Well, I would think that larger medical institutions that do a variety of medical procedures and see multiple uh, complex patients are at more risk for this than smaller institutions. Is, is that correct? I don't think so. Really? Really. In some ways, the larger institution have a little bit more leverage just because they're bigger buyers to demand that they see, you know, understand what the risks are, the vulnerabilities of a product. Now, that hasn't happened yet. But the smaller institutions have less to, to negotiate because they're a smaller chunk. But the bigger ones, well, they, we can kind of muscle ourselves around and, and, and make, make demands. Anyway, it comes back to the same thing. Now, if you buy something off of Amazon or eBay, right? You know, I, the other day I was trying to buy something. You know, I saw this thing that had only 15 reviews, but there were you know, four stars. Then I saw one that was like 20,000 reviews and it was 4.7 stars. Even though the fewer reviews with decent stars was twice as cheap, I went with the thing that had like 20,000 reviews where I was like, well, this has clearly been tested by a bunch of folks. Sure enough, the, the product is worthwhile and it's just been tested. We have nothing like that for supply chain that all people see is price. And so they go on what 
the only thing they can go on. And we end up with the situation of widget A that should cost $50 is now being sold for $35 and it's completely vulnerable. And if this is a life-saving widget, it may not exist when you need it. And so your choices are to use inferior products or try to stockpile, which in itself is costly. And it turns out that if you had just paid $50 for widget A, you would end up saving money and had the product there when you needed it. Medical institutions try to run as lean as possible. And everybody's trying to get the least expensive products for all the things that we need. But I think your example is a good one in that you may find something less expensive, but the likelihood of there being problems goes up and that creates another weak link. So it's got to be more than the cost of the product. That's exactly it. And if for a long time, even if you knew for every product what it came down to, back to raw material, before computers or the ability to really manage that kind of data and compute it, like you couldn't do anything with it. So what? This is a bunch of ones and zeros I can't do anything with. But now we have the ability to cross-reference all this with like volcanic activity and hurricane patterns and things like that. So we've gotten smarter. And now we have the ability to actually do the analytics so that if we are actually presented with a deeper understanding of the supply chain, that we can actually make meaningful inferences of well, how likely is this thing to this chain to break. Yeah. Well, the pandemic has taught us a lot, uh, not just how to take care of the virus, but a lot in terms of uh, supply chain vulnerability, telemedicine, education online, a lot has changed as a result of this pandemic. What have we learned about medical chain vulnerability as a result of the pandemic? What are some lessons? Yeah, the big thing, and I'm going to talk about the Healthcare Industry Resiliency Collaborative. And this is, you're talking about these big organizations. Mayo and Spectrum Health, several years ago, started HERC, the Healthcare Industry Resiliency Collaborative. And the idea is that the way suppliers and purchasers were doing business was hurting both, right? Mm -hmm. That is so focused on price and our, we just had like a bad culture of product sale. And how do we change this? culture that up until now has been purely driven by price to one that it actually incentivizes resilience and disincentivizes vulnerability. And initially we didn't have a lot of organizations wanting to join. Then the pandemic happens and people realize, wow, this is a big problem that we created, right? We are not victims here. Like great stories have a hero a victim and a villain. And if you read the stories online, it always sounds like, oh, it's either the government that's the villain. And obviously the patients are the victim and you know, it's the, the doctors are the heroes. Turns out the healthcare facilities are the villain too. And we also have a chance to be the hero. And this is where organizations such as the Healthcare Industry Resiliency Collaborative, HERC, come in. And we were trying to change the culture of how we buy things and sell things to introduce more than just price. And over time, since the pandemic started, now we're over 70 organizations, including manufacturers and you know, distributors and many large healthcare facilities 
realizing that we can change the culture of this and you know, creating things such as you know, resiliency scorecards and things like that so that what you see on eBay or Amazon, these ratings, mind you, those are like user interface. But what if you had a legit score that is validated and shows, well, how vulnerable is this product? Well, then you can really start changing consumer behavior, which will then reward those that are you know, more resilient and disincentivize vulnerability. Essentially, we are on the road to be able to really change the incentives of medical supply purchasing and sale. So what's involved in determining the factors that go into this rating? Um, obviously, price is one, but what are some of the other things? Dependability? Uh, what, what else? Well, there's a lot of things, you can, and these are complicated. These are extensive things, right? Mm -hmm. So you may rather want to go through a joint commission evaluation, but there, there's ways, ways to look at it, right? One is just when people historically have sold this product, what is their fill rate? If somebody is, is ordering 100 widget A, how often do they get 100 widget A delivered on time? Or is it often uh, they can only get 85? So that's sort of looking at just historical fill, which mm -hmm. that gives a sense of some resilience, but then there's other things, understanding for that product, uh, sort of how many supplies, backup suppliers and things like that. And how are they able to withstand an insult to any part of their supply chain up until the point that they deliver it? So there's a few different aspects of this. And um, this is where, Herc and others are really trying to push the envelope and understand this better. Like what is a meaningful thing to measure that would tell us the likelihood that in the future, this product is you know, going to be available when you need it. I believe there have been people who have predicted we would have issues like this, but nobody listened. Those <laughs> who said we need more ventilators in this country, but we never needed them until the pandemic. So is that the case? Were there people out there that's saying that? Yeah. I mean, that was one of them. Oh, how about that? <laughs> right? Empty rooms of me talking about medical supply chain and doing all kinds of parlor tricks, talking about, you know, the chances of people in a room of 30 having a birthday together, all kinds of things. Right. And no one was listening or if they were, they certainly didn't let me know about it. You know, interesting thing about ventilators most places did not run out of ventilators. What they ran out of was respiratory therapists. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at any sort of healthcare organization, people often focus on, especially talking about ventilators, right? It's more complex than that. We look at staff, space, and stuff, supplies. And all three of those things are needed in order to do the thing you want to do in healthcare. So let's talk about if you want to ventilate a patient, right? And someone needs mechanical ventilation. If you don't have a room with a bed to ventilate someone, you don't have a ventilator, right? If you don't have an ICU nurse, a respiratory therapist, a pulmonologist, or a critical care doc, you don't have a ventilator, right? If you don't have the tube, like the ventilator circuit, right? You have the ventilator, but you don't have the way to get the actually the patient oxygenated because there's no, no conduit, you don't have a ventilator. And so this is where things get really complex, right? 
you can have a ventilator, you can have all of those things, but what if you have no sedative to make that patient comfortable? You don't have a ventilator, right? And so this is where the complexity of healthcare overlaid with supply chain vulnerabilities has made this really precarious. Well, it's really equivalent to say going to a restaurant and you enter and there's a lot of empty tables, but there's still a lot of people in the lobby waiting for table because they may only have two wait staff. That's exactly it. Yeah. Plenty of tables, plenty of food. Right. But yeah. Where are the waiters? So, so are people, are workers part of the supply chain? I mean, in some cases, you have to think about that, right? So if you're, your company is making it, if you're running out of workers to make the thing you're going to make, like it doesn't matter how many trucks exist, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter how many machines there are, right? And so if, if they're on lockdown because of a you know, giant COVID outbreak or something, well, suddenly whatever they make, they're just not going to be able to make as many of it. You know, I'll give an example that happened. If you remember the, the Beijing Olympics, uh, this is way pre-COVID, Beijing generally has a smog problem, but they did not want that to really be the highlight of international television. So they shut down all factories in a hundred kilometer radius of Beijing mm-hmm. around the time of the, uh, of the Olympics. Included in that were companies that made nitrile gloves. So suddenly out of like a man-made celebration of sport, there was a global shortage of nitrile gloves, right? That we depend on for medical care. So, I mean, it's not just like catastrophic incidents. It can be anything. It can be, there's just an outbreak of GI illness you know, amongst the factory workers at this company. And suddenly you don't have what you need. So as a result of what we hopefully learned from the pandemic, are we in a better position to handle the next worldwide emergency or even national emergency, whatever it may be? Have we learned enough about medical chain vulnerability? I'm an optimistic guy. My answer to that is not yet. The not yet part is that we are so entrenched in complete price sensitivity for our purchasing that the change in culture of of purchasing to really think of the long game hasn't quite hit. And this is why I really want to talk to physicians, providers, because I talk to my friends in supply chain all the time. They say, look, this product is far more resilient, right? If we go with them. But the doc will say, hey, I don't use that one. I'm going to go with this other one just because I can and I want to. And then the supply chain person who's been dealing with this their whole life is suddenly their opinion doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I need physicians to start listening to their supply chain folks because mm-hmm. they know what they're talking about. And it, we physicians, <laughs> healthcare organizations have gotten us into this mess. And it's only through our actions that we're going to find a way out of it. Like we have to change the incentives. And if we keep going on price and not caring about how resilient these products are, we're going to continue to find ourselves in a messier and messier situation. And the fear is that as things get back to normal, we'll become more complacent and go back to our old habits, 
where price is the number one uh, concern. Yeah, we need to start looking at the long view. And you can even look at it at the short view, that if you have, let's say, widget A, life-saving widget A, and you have a manufacturer that most people use, that's pretty vulnerable. And then you have another manufacturer that fewer people are using, but is pretty resilient. And you just buy a fraction of your product from the second most resilient, you know, the, the, the more resilient manufacturer. When there is a shortage of the main company, you are already a favored status with the other company. And therefore you are likely to get your allotment, at least what you've been you know, buying historically. So there is some benefit in the short term of spreading around where you're purchasing from. You have multiple you know, different vendors and really trying to make a decision about, well, if you really need this product, you need to start thinking about how resilient is the company you're buying it from. Yeah. So just like our risks in investing, you know, diversification is important. Sounds like that's one of the key components to dealing with this issue as well. Yeah. And you, know, you will see on the, on the news and things like that, people will talk about offshore manufacturing being a real problem. I don't think just being as a sourcing overseas is itself a problem. In fact, if you look at about IP fluids, as I talked about earlier, that is, it, it was done in the U.S. territory. And so that is not a guarantee. Uh, so there's more to it than just, is this domestic manufacturing? Just, well, how robust is the resiliency? And there's a lot that goes into it, but this is where I need healthcare providers, physicians, leaders in healthcare to start paying attention because we created this problem. Well, Pratish, you've given us some really important food for thought. Could you summarize our discussion maybe with two or three key points that you'd like our listeners to hear about uh, vulnerabilities in uh, supply chain? Sure. The first thing is that the increasing vulnerability of medical supply chain is a product of healthcare purchasing, and it is a problem we created. This is fixable but we have to do it through culture and understanding that we are incentivizing through where we purchase the uh, resiliency of the companies we're purchasing from. The last thing I want people to know is that there is an organization, Healthcare Industry Resiliency Collaborative, HERC, that is leading the way in really trying to redefine what the culture is and make changes such that we are no longer purely basing our decisions on price alone, but rather having an understanding of resiliency and having that feed into purchasing decisions. We've been discussing medical supply chain vulnerabilities with Dr. Pratish Tosh, a specialist in infectious disease at the Mayo Clinic, and also now probably has an audience for supply chain vulnerabilities. Pratish, thank you so much for sharing your insight with us into this topic. Thanks so much, man. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week.